This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman and Superman-related comics. I'm Grant Richter, and this is Episode 8. Welcome back to the show, guys. This episode, we are going to be talking about Superman number one, which continues Peter Tomasi's uh, run that began with Superman Rebirth, and will also introduce artist Patrick Gleason to the book. And we are also going to be talking about Action Comics number 958 by Dan Jurgens and Patrick Zercher, which continues Clark's ongoing... Uh, let's say rivalry with Lex Luthor as Doomsday is thrown into the mix. And I have got a full thermos of coffee and my Superman coffee mug, and I am ready to go. But before we get to the comics, as always, I have some thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude. Now, I am recording this Saturday, the day before Halloween, and this will be coming out Monday, the day after Halloween. Normally, I record on Sundays, but I want to spend the day tomorrow watching uh, Tim Burton movies with my kid, so I will not be recording tomorrow. So, I originally thought about doing a Halloween episode, having it come out a little bit early to have it come out in time for Halloween, but the story I want to do, I haven't read yet, and I haven't read the Superman books building up to it. So I don't want to cover a story I don't have a lot of context for. So I'm going to save that for next year because I will be doing this show again in a year from now. But um, since we're still, let's say this will be coming out, you know, Dia de los Muertos, it's still kind of spooky themed. So I want to talk about something else Halloween related, and I want to talk about fear. And fear is something I think about a lot. Um, it's part of the reason... I have the, the, the quote that I use at the end of every episode, which comes from Action Comics number 1000. And I think about fear a lot because when I was a kid, I was afraid of everything. And by kid, I mean like elementary through like junior high. I was scared of everything. I kid you not. And a big part of that is because I did not have a strong support system uh, for my family at home growing up. If I was scared of something, I was pretty much told to just suck it up and go away. So if you don't have someone there to reassure you as a child that things are going to be okay when you get afraid, you don't really like being afraid. And when I was a kid, it wasn't really about, you know, I don't want to watch this horror movie because I'm afraid of the actual monster or whatever in the movie. I was afraid of being afraid. Because, um, again, you know, I, I knew that there would be no support system there. So I would actively, I would have like two levels of fright. I was like, well, there's a thing that you can be afraid of, which is like the big fear. Then I would have the little fear, which is the fear of being afraid. And I would actively avoid things that made me afraid. And, you know, eventually by the time I was in high school, I was, you know, I was over that. And I would very uh, bullheadedly, you know, and, um, let's say, embrace the things that made me afraid. I was became a big horror movie fan in high school and stuff like that. It was like I was, you know, ready to punch fear in the face by kind of embracing it. And But the unfortunate side of that is because I spent so long being afraid as a kid, 
I ended up responding with anger to things that had previously made me afraid and things that I didn't have confidence of. And so, you know, I, I mentioned in previous episodes, I wasn't a great person for a long time. And a lot of that was because I was uh, responding with a veneer of anger over a core of fear. And, you know, fear can do that to a person. It can do that to a society. If you, if you refuse to understand the thing that you're afraid of, it can make you respond with anger to things you don't under, uh, that you don't understand. And, you know, it's kind of like that quote from Star Wars, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to, you know, suffering or to paraphrase to violence, most likely. And, you know, that's the thing we're looking at now. We have a lot of, a lot of anger and a lot of hatred and a lot of, uh, just bubbling, um, animosity in our society. So, I, by now, I personally believe that you have to not only face your fears, but you have to examine your fears. You have to, you know, think about, well, I'm, you know, I don't understand this, or I'm, or I should say, I don't, I'm afraid of this. Why am I afraid of it? I'm afraid of it because I don't understand it, or I'm afraid of it because it might, you know, it might hurt me, or I believe it will hurt me when maybe it's just an unfounded fear. So... You know, that's, that's really all I have to say about that. It's, it's not really any kind of deep thought, but that is how I try to do things now. If I feel frustration of something or feel angry about something, I try to dial it back. I try to think about it. It's like, well, I'm, I'm angry about this or I'm frustrated about this. Why, you know, is it, is it something that deep down, you know, maybe on some, some lower, you know, childlike level, I have some kind of, you know, and not an antipathy for, but just makes me nervous for some reason. And I, I like to examine that, and it, it really helps me move forward as a person. So that's all I really have to say about that. So without any further ado, let's go talk about some comics. Okay, like I said, our first comic that we're going to talk about today is Superman number one. It is co-written by Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. It's penciled by Patrick Gleason with inks by Mick Gray. It's colored by John Calise and lettered by Rob Lee. The main cover is by Gleason, Gray, and Calise, and the variant cover is by Kenneth Rocafort. Now, the main cover is one of my favorite Superman covers of all time. It is Clark opening his shirt to expose the classic Superman S, and Gleason does the S huge. Like, it goes almost from shoulder to shoulder. It reminds me of the, like, the S chest plate that the Eradicator wore during Reign of the Superman. And he's kind of looking boldly off into the distance, and there's like a, it's like a sun-like explosion behind him, kind of, like maybe... It's, you know, this is a kind of a uh, collage cover, so none of the images are really supposed to tell a single story. But there's like a close-up of the sun kind of behind him. And then you see a tiny Superman zipping from the bottom left corner to the top right corner of the page. Uh, Lois and John are kind of in front and beneath him with uh, Lois has her hands on John's shoulders and they're kind of glancing toward the reader skeptically. And then their farmhouse is in the bottom left corner of the page. And then there's this growing, glowing green flaming skull <laughs> beneath Clark's right arm, which would be towards the left, bottom left corner of the page. And then to, to under his left arm, there's like these characters and one of them kind of looks like he's got on a cross between a gas mask and a, um, what do you call it, like a plague doctor mask. And he's got this red hooded cloak and this almost astrological symbol on his hood. And then there's like, and he's all in flaming orange. And there's a guy below him that's reaching out this claw. And like, he's all kind of orange. And he's got these two little black eyes. But then the center of his chest is splitting open and there's this black technological stuff beneath it. 
and then there's three guys above the hooded guy's shoulder, and they all kind of like they have space armor. I don't think the skull and these these orange guys have anything to do with anything that's coming up in the book, but it looks awesome. It's just is extremely cool looking covers. Like, yep, this is all weird, neat looking stuff that could happen to Superman, and I love it. Now the Variant cover, again by Ken Throkafort, is it's just Superman in his new costume standing in front of a yellow background. And the lower half of his body, it's like images of people and buildings from Metropolis are projected on the lower half of his body and the lower half of his cape. It's okay. It's a really, really well done image. It's not terribly exciting, but it is pretty neat looking. So I have, I have nothing bad to say about it whatsoever. Now, it opens with uh, Clark standing at the grave of New 52 Superman, and he is thinking, uh, one thing I love about this is that Clark thinks of New 52 Superman as his brother, which is really cool. And he is talking about how, he's thinking about how when he died fighting Doomsday back in the day, which I just finished rereading yesterday. I love that story so much. And he's thinking about how he got lucky and he got a second chance, but New 52 Superman didn't. And he's standing over again, as we mentioned in the Rebirth one-shot, not the Superman Rebirth, but the DC Rebirth one-shot, that New 52 Superman's grave is unmarked. It's between the graves of the New 52 versions of Jonathan and Martha. And uh, let's see, he says, I can, you know, I can do anything, but I can't raise the dead. And he's glad he could bury his counterpart here. And he squats down and he presses his palm against New 52 Clark's grave. And when he lifts it back up, there's a glowing, there's a blue glowing shape in the shape of his palm. And he's like, whoa, that's weird. You know, and he's thinking about how his powers are a little different since they came to this universe. And he, he says, I think you'd be happy to know I've put the black suit aside. We've been at half mass long enough. The world needs to see that there's a Superman looking out for them. You may not be there in body, but I know you are in spirit. And the bottom left corner of this page, it's a double page spread. And so I don't know how that would how that would translate into a physical copy, but it's the second full page of the digital copy. And the bottom right panel is so cool. It's one of my favorite Superman panels. It's really understated. There's very little detail to it. It's kind of a, like a Mike Mignola level of detail. So you've got this gray indistinct background and you've got Clark kind of standing sort of on New 52 Superman's grave. You have the headstones of Jonathan and Martha on either side of him, and it's drawn so that he's like on a hill. And again, the sky is all gray, and you have Clark taking hold of his shirt and starting to pull it open. And as he's pulling it open, it's like the gray sky is being ripped back. It's it's like a it's like the sky is parting, but it's a jagged ripping. It's like the force of him exposing the S is breaking through this dull gray sky. It's like hope breaking through despair. And, the, and then the next page is a full splash of you know, the shirt wide open. And it's a close-up of the ass. And again, it's huge. Uh, and he says, the colors will fly. And then the next page, it's another, I think, it's, I assume it's a two-page splash in the physical copy. And it's this really amazing collage of images. So... Superman is flying in his new costume and he's kind of flying out of the orbit of the earth and there's a satellite behind him and just behind him, the, the sun is breaking across the horizon and, and shining light across the entire world. And above that is this collage of images. So you have Jor-El and Lara in their uh, like Silver Age looks, like where Doral has like the green tunic with the big yellow sun on the front and the headband. And you have a very Silver Age rocket blasting towards the reader. 
Uh, below that, you have John and Martha finding baby Cal-El with the S-Shield blanket. And that's another thing that I, that I prefer about the later retcons of Superman's origins that was also picked up on in the Man of Steel movie. And also, I should uh, mention, started with the 1978 uh, Christopher Reeve movie that the S symbol originated on Krypton. It doesn't mean Superman. I respect the burn origin where Clark showed up in plain clothes first. Lois named him Superman. And then the S was created by Martha to mean Superman. I like it the other way around. I like it where the S shows up first. It's a symbol of the house of L. It's a symbol of Krypton. It means hope. And Lois names him Superman because of the S on his chest. I like that a lot. I like that much better. And I like that it's on the blanket that baby Cal was wrapped in. And you see a collage of, um, you see reporters, and one of which I assume is Lois, questioning him after he first appears. You see him fighting a giant old-timey robot, which looks like the mechanical monsters from the Fleischer Superman cartoon. You see him fighting some kind of giant ape-like creature, which might be Titano. Kind of looks a little more like King Kong. And then you see him being uh, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, and being able to leap taller buildings in a single bound. And it's fantastic. And what's also neat about it, and I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the, and the American way of the Superman mythos, but it is a neat visual effect that the part of the collage that Jor-El and Laura in the exploding Krypton and the rocket are in looks like a blue field full of stars. And then the part of the collage of um, Jonathan and Martha finding baby Cal has red and white stripes overlaid in it. So, you know, I don't necessarily lean into the ultra patriotism part of the Superman thing, but I have to admit that Superman holding an American flag always looks kind of cool. And I think that is a neat little touch to be put on it. I have spent a lot of time talking about this page. I could literally talk about it all day long. I've thrown it up on Twitter four or five times by now. I'm definitely going to throw it up again when I talk about this issue. So from there, we go to the Smith Farm in Hamilton County, which is 300 miles north of Metropolis. And again, I said this last issue that Hamilton County is supposed to be the equivalent of somewhere in upstate New York, which... I think it's really neat because I'm about to move to part of upstate New York. So that's really cool. And we get this from John's point of view where a lightning strike has set the family barn on fire. And so we get us pulled back distance and there's like fire spewing out of this window in the upper part of the barn. It's scattering across the night sky and there's all these little bits of flaming stuff going across the sky and you see some lightning in the background. It looks, looks really, really cool. I love Patrick Gleason's artwork so much. And we see John in his bedroom window, kind of casually looking down at the fire. And he is casual because he knows his dad's got it taken care of because we see Clark come striding out of the flaming barn, holding uh, uh, a What's a baby horse called? Not a pony, a foal. Anyway, baby horse in his hands, comforting it. And he's wearing like regular work clothes. He's wearing work pants and a flannel shirt, but he's got a Superman uniform on under it. And the flames are eating away at the flannel shirt. And he has the big red, the big S exposed. And he's got like his little farmer hat on. And it looks really cool. And Clark sees John looking down at him. Clark looks up, gives John a thumbs up, and the next page is a splash of John looking down at his dad with a huge smile on his face, giving him the thumbs up, saying, my dad is Superman. Really great panel. And he's got like these toys all in his window where he's just, he's got like some Legos and some, and some action figures, and it's just really, really great. And you can just see the pride and excitement on John's face knowing that he knows his dad is Superman. So that's a lot of fun. So the next day, we see that the uh, the Smiths have a cat 
<laughs> the cat's name is Goldie, and the uh, and John is keeping the cat from chasing. It looks like a hamster at first, but then it runs off. So I guess it was supposed to be a mouse. But the cat is off, about to go chase a mouse, and Lois is complaining that that's the last flannel shirt she's ever going to get, Clark, because all of his shirts get ruined. And uh, John is very eager to start helping rebuilding the barn, and uh, Clark tells him, you know, don't use your powers when I'm not around, and John says, yes, sir, and um, and he wants... Uh, Clark wants John to go fill the corn harvester because it ran out of gas yesterday. I don't know what a corn harvester is, but it's some kind of farm thing. And he wants John to go do it. And so John says, on it, pop, go get him, Goldie. So he and the cat, they go zipping off out into the field and they jump a barbed wire fence into the field, which I can relate to a lot. Um, when the house I grew up in until I was 14, uh, it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and we weren't farmers, but a farmer owned all like a lot of land around where our property was, and so our house was our yard was surrounded on three sides by a cornfield, and and also my grandma on my dad's side, she lived like further even out in the in the country, and she owned a, a cattle farm, and so me and my cousins we would constantly go jump the fence and go run around in the, in the fields when I was a kid. So I can relate to this part, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, but as they jump out into the field, a hawk sees Goldie the cat, swoops down and grabs it up, and John shouts, Goldie! And as the hawk flies up with the cat, you see his eyes start to spark, and in his trauma, he released a massive blast of heat vision. This looks like Cyclops got his visor knocked off kind of heat vision. He screams, let her go. And you can actually see the grass around him sizzling and wilting from the heat. But the blast incinerates both the bird and unfortunately his cat. And he looks down and he's very upset. He's crying. His cat's dead. He also broke his promise to his dad, which is really upsetting. And he looks up, and there is a girl, a blonde girl about his age, standing under a tree in the field, just silently watching him. And John kind of looks down in his grief, and he holds the cat's collar up to his face and closes his eyes. And when he opens them, the girl is gone. A little bit later, John walks back to the house, and Clark is picking up a truck or a tractor or something. And he asks John if his chores are all done, and John says, yeah. And Clark asks if he's ready to use your powers to help me rebuild the barn. And John says he's changed his mind. Uh, he thinks maybe Clark is right about taking hit slow with his powers. And Clark looks at him and says, okay, I don't want you to do anything you're uncomfortable doing. Which is pretty pretty great for Clark as a parent. You know, it's when we, we want to... Um, push our kids to fulfill their potential the best we can without being pushy. We want to be encouraging, but we also want to give them the space to grow at their own pace, which I think is pretty great. So they're sitting down for dinner, and there's a fun little exchange between Clark and Lois, and he asks her if she finished the chapter that she's been working on. She says, yeah, I was blocked for a few hours. So I stopped and just did some housework and it helped me think. And he says, you mean procrastinate, right? And she says, what you may call procrastination, I call thinking, which is pretty funny. And she asks if either of them have seen the cat and Park, Clark and John both say, nope. And John is starting to look pretty nervous. But there's a knock on the door and John goes to get it. And it is the blonde girl who saw him out in the field and saw him use his powers and accidentally kill Goldie. And she introduces herself. Her name is Kathy Brandon, and her grandfather, who she lives with, just bought the dairy farm across the road. And she says her grandfather is sorry that he hasn't come by to say hi yet, but she gives him some milk, for, uh, some milk from their cows as a way of saying sorry and welcome. And you can see John getting visibly uncomfortable. At one point, he has his shoulders kind of shrugged up really high and his chin is starting to get tucked into his shirt as he's squirming. 
and Lois is asking Kathy if she has seen their cat running around. And she says, no, but I could put a saucer of milk of my granddad's milk out. That may do the trick. And by now, John's shirt is all the way up over his mouth. It's almost to his nose. And he has his arms completely over his head. And you can just feel not only his nervousness, but probably, you know, talking to a, a girl, uh, which is, you know, can be awkward for a boy of that age. But, you know, he's also worried that she's going to uh, reveal that he accidentally used his powers when he wasn't supposed to. And, you know, she's obviously very uncomfortable by their exchange, too. And she leaves quickly, saying she has chores to do. So they all go back to the table and uh, it'll be and um, Clark says it'll be nice having a neighbor, someone your age, John. And John says, what's so nice about it? Everything we do is one big secret. I can't tell them who we really are. My mom writes a book under a secret name. My dad is secretly a superhero, and I'm secretly half human and half Kryptonian. And Clark and Lois talk about how, you know, everything they've done, they've done all the secrecy is for their protection and especially his. And uh, Clark is looking pretty irritated. And he's saying, I thought we were clear about all the good we're able to do for this world as a family by maintaining our secret identities and John shouts at him don't use me as an excuse to be a bunch of liars and Clark gets very quiet and says enough if you can't have a calm discussion go up to your room now and I think those of us who are parents can relate to that moment and you know not that I think Superman ever would but I love how as a parent when he gets mad he doesn't raise his voice at his kids. And I think that's fantastic. I think that's the best way to communicate to your kids when they are maybe showing out, you know, let your displeasure be known without raising your own voice. And yeah, I'm glad the Superman does that. So next we see John up in his room, looking out the window and there are some tears rolling quietly down his face. But then he sees Wonder Woman walk onto their property, and it's at night. There are fireflies out and all that. And then he goes, huh? And he looks back down, and then Batman's just there, of course. And he goes, whoa. And next you see the, the light from the front door spill out across Wonder Woman and Batman. And we see Clark's shadow. And we see Clark step out in full costume. And we see a bunch of word bubbles. And I like that there's nothing to distinguish Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman's words in the bubbles as we're seeing them through John's super hearing. But it goes, we reached out, still a stranger, one Superman dead, my family, the boy, I told you, dangerous to others. What are you? Off limits, power levels. And so you can kind of tell who's is who. You know, obviously, when um, my family is Clark, and I assume I told you is probably also Clark, and Off Limits is probably also Clark, but I like how you can't really tell whose conversation is who in this. It's very nice. But uh, the next panel is all three of them looking up at the window at John, and Tomasi and the inker and the colorist do a really good job on this, because they all look kind of scary. Uh, Wonder Woman and Batman are both facing the window, and Wonder Woman's eyes are very shrouded, and you see her, you know, kind of like head tilted down, but eyes looking up kind of thing. And Batman's looking straight up at him, and his eyes are completely shadowed, and there's these t tiny little pinpricks, which make him look very alien. And you see Clark looking back over his shoulder up at the window, and his face is also in shadow. And John's like, yikes! And he falls back out of the window. He looks up as he sees Wonder Woman fly off. Uh, Batman has probably disappeared somewhere. And the next panel is a, or the next page is a full splash of Clark standing in his full costume in John's doorway saying, quickly and quietly, you're coming with me. And the next issue blurb says, next, the er eradicated. So, oh boy, we get some, we were getting a teaser. And, you know, those of you who have been reading Superman a long time, or those of you who have watched Superman and Lois probably can guess from that what's coming. But, yay. And, uh, duh, it's the Eradicator. 
And that's a thing we're going to see a lot of as we're going forward. You know, we already have Doomsday, which we saw last episode in Action Comics. We have more Doomsday in this one. We have the Eradicator coming. Spoiler, we have a, we have a variation of the Cyborg Superman coming in Supergirl. So these are all very cool nostalgia buttons that, you know, they're, they're all the right buttons for me, I promise you. Um, you know, Reign of the Superman is, was my, not my introduction to Superman because I obviously encountered Superman for the first time when I was a little kid in the late 70s. But Reign of the Superman is when I started reading Superman in 93 when I just gotten out of high school. And even though it wasn't, once the rain was over, it wasn't enough to keep me reading the Superman books, but it's what gave me an appreciation for Superman that I'd never known before. And I talked about this in the first episode of the show, that I wasn't ever one of those people that, oh, I don't like Superman because it's too powerful. It was just always... You know, Superman, I always thought it was like, it's your introductory level superhero. You know, it was, it's for people who are not really deeply into comics, the people that are just superhero fans without being comic book fans, they're casuals. You know, DC has to keep publishing the characters so they don't lose the rights to them. But, you know, I thought he was kind of, I hate to say it, but I thought he was kind of basic. And it was after Reign of the Superman, Reign of the Supermen, even though I wasn't reading the Superman titles, I began feeling kind of protective of the character. And um, like when Superman the animated series came out, even though I didn't have time to watch it, I was happy for Superman that he got his own cartoon after, I want to say like three years of Batman having a cartoon. And when Six Flags Over Georgia got a Superman ride, I was like, hey, Superman has his own ride after a couple years of Batman having a ride. And, you know, when the Man of Steel action figures came out and stuff like that. So I began to feel, I don't know, like I wanted good things for Superman. And so all that was kicked off by Reign of the Superman. So anything that goes back and touches on that or the death of Superman is really how you get straight to my nerve button. So really fun issue. Not a lot happens in it, but we got some, mm, some, some plot building going on, you know, with it, with John's powers further developing and John accidentally using them and, you know, resulting in a small family tragedy. And the fact that he, you know, accidentally broke his promise and that he is still, you know, a lot of kids, if they mess up by accident, they're afraid to tell their parents, afraid of getting in trouble, even if it was a complete accident. Some parents might, you know, feel that's justifiable for the child to be in trouble, even if it was just an accident. Um, and I think it shows that because Lois and Clark kept these secrets from John for so long, he doesn't really trust them right now. And that's why he doesn't feel comfortable going to them about accidentally using the powers and accidentally killing the cat. And I think the, the way he views Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman in these panels kind of leans into that. And I think it's not just how they physically looked in that moment. I think that's partly how John interpreted them. I think it's seeing them from not only his physical perspective, but also his mental perspective, how they all looked kind of scary. So you know, I love this issue. I'm going to say that about pretty much every issue of, of, of this series of this series, yeah, and of, and of Jurgen's action comics going forward. Um, I cannot gush enough about them. But like I said, I love Gleason's artwork in this. I love Tomasi's writing. So, um, before I repeat myself over and over and over again, saying how much I like this book, I'm going to pause for a quick sponsor break, and then we'll be back to talk about some action comics. And we're back. Um, before we get into the next comic, I did want to take a brief minute and say that if you're enjoying the show, if you're enjoying this episode, if you're enjoying the previous seven episodes, 
Um, I ask that you do visit the podcast homepage at anchor.fm slash truth, justice, and hope, and considering clicking on the support tab and don't making a uh, reoccurring monthly donation to the show. Right now, it's not set up in such a way that I can offer any bonus content. It is just a very nice way for you to show uh, that you, you know, like the show, that you support what I'm doing, all that good stuff. Right now, it's just a really nice gesture, honestly. However, um, beginning in January, after I get moved and after I get all settled in, after the holidays are over and all that, I am going to do a full Patreon page, and I will be putting out a bonus episode a month. I'm going to be going in and talking about my favorite Superman arcs, starting with uh, the John Byrne era of Superman. I'm going to be putting out one a month. Uh, the first one will probably probably be about the uh, the Pocket Universe Superboy story from 1987, I believe. And I like that story a lot because it leads into the Pocket Universe Supergirl story, which leads into Exile, which leads into... Um, uh, what's it called, uh, the day of the Krypton man and leads into, um, panic in the sky leads into the reign of the Superman and all that stuff starts with the pocket universe, Superboy story. So again, and if you sign up for that at a dollar a month, then you'll get access to all those. And I'll work out some other bonuses for people who are interested in donating at higher levels. But again, right now, with the with the support tab at at anchor it is just a nice way for you to show your support for the show so anyway let us move on and talk about action comics number 958 and this issue again excuse me is written by the immortal dan jurgens it is penciled by patrick zercher it is lettered by rob lee it's colored by ulysses Ariola. The main cover is by Michael Jannon, and the variant cover is by Ryan Sook. And the main cover is Superman and Lex fighting Doomsday, and it's staggered in such a way where Superman is in the very forefront of the image, with Doomsday having one hand all the way around Clark's waist. Clark is punching Doomsday across the face, and Lex is behind both of them with one arm in his armor, around Doomsday's neck. It's pretty great cover. The alternate by Sook, it is a close-up split image of Clark on our left and Lex on our right with a kind of jagged red, almost lightning bolt down the middle. And what's neat about it is it's, it's in much darker tones with a lot of shadows and Clark's eye is glowing like heat vision red. And then, of course, the, the the S symbol is red, and the cape is red, what little you can see of the cape. And the plain background behind him is in green. And then on Lex's side, his, his eye is green, like his pupil or cornea or whatever it is. And then his S symbol is in green, and then the blank background behind him is red. And so it's a really neat kind of color flip, color swap, um, complementary color thing. It's really cool. You know, and even though Lex's suit has blue highlights, you know, in the actual version, it's a neat take on how Lex's colors are traditionally purple and green. So it's pretty neat. And so our first page, uh, we get kind of a expositionary flashback about how Lois and Clark and John came to the universe. Clark wore the black suit for a while. New 52 Superman died. Lex has shown up wearing a Superman-themed power armor with New 52 Superman's actual cape. Uh, Jimmy is there taking photographs of you know, Lex kind of grandstanding, and there is another uh, unexplained Clark Kent. And again, the people of this world know that the New 52 Superman and New 52 Clark Kent were the same person. And then we also show that Doomsday is back and he is uh, in this uh, instance he is still covered head to toe in the green bodysuit. Now I have to say going forward we're gonna each episode of the show we're gonna do 
one issue, we're going to do two comics, one issue of each one. It's not always going to be Superman in action. It's going to be, it's going to be depend on the order that they were released. Like next issue, we're going, to, you know, we're going to do two different comics, or one of the two is going to be different, and they're not going to be following the same story path. My preference for Superman stories is more like the Triangle Era, where it's each issue has its own kind of subplot going on, but they're all following the same main plot throughout all four books. Here we're going to have four main books that we're going to cover that have Superman in them right now. We're going to have Superman, we're going to have Action, we're going to have Justice League starting next issue, and eventually we're also going to fold in Trinity. And those are all each following their own plot lines. So it's one of those suspension of disbelief things where you have to figure that one story is slotted into a moment of time slightly before or slightly after the other, even though they're both going on simultaneously. It's like in the 2000s where Wolverine was in his solo book and he was in the X-Men and he was in the Avengers and you just had to kind of mentally juggle that, okay, this is all going on simultaneously, but it's fine. So I don't know if this is before. I assume that this story started first because we first in last episode in last uh, in the last issue of Action Comics, we see him put on the new suit for the first time. So let's just take that at face value and go forward. But as the story unfolds, Lex and Superman are fighting Doomsday with this mystery Clark in the background observing and reporting and a lot of the story is just fight but it's the internal dialogue that adds context to it and so clark is thinking he thought at first this was a trick he thought it was a robot or a hologram or something but this feels and smells and sounds just like the doomsday that he knew and remember, he didn't just fight Doomsday one time. He didn't just have that fight to the death in 1992. He fought Doomsday at least two other times during the Triangle years. And so, and, you know, and not even counting what, what all went on with Our Worlds at War and all that other stuff, which I don't want to talk about. But, you know, Superman is intimately familiar with how Doomsday feels on a sensory level during a fight. And so he is having to put all of his strength and all of his, he's having to put back every amount, he is having to put aside every amount of restraint he has, which is causing a ton of destruction. And while this is going on, we see Mr. Oz. And if this is your first issue, Mr. Oz is this mystery figure. He wears a green hooded cloak who carries the staff he carries reminds me of the one that um uh not despair um i forget the the guy that's all black that has the white cape that's in marvel comics he fought quasar a lot um he would try to make people want to kill themselves i forget what he was called sorry that was a that was a bad reference but he's this mystery figure who knows something about clark and his family but he's not saying what it is. He's saying that they are more than they appear to be. And so he is he is watching both the fight and he's watching Lois and John at home watching the fight on TV from wherever Oz is watching them on his gigantic bank of monitors. And so Clark and John are at home. They've got all the boxes surrounding them where they've just moved into this new house in Hamilton County. And Lois is talking about how it feels wrong. You know, they just came to this universe. There shouldn't be a doomsday in this universe. But here he is. And John's saying, well, he can, he can take this monster, right? You know, he, you know, and Lois is like, well, he's fought him before. And John said, well, he beat him, right? She says, yeah, he, he, he stopped him. But that's all she's willing to say because she doesn't want to upset her son. And that's when they see the other Clark on TV and John saying he looks just like dad. I mean, no difference at all. You said this world Superman is dead. And where we see where Lois is just putting her face in her hands in fear and worry, saying there's no explanation for any of this. And John's saying it's, it'll be OK, won't it, Mom? And Lois doesn't answer. 
because she doesn't know how to answer. And so back in the fight, uh, we have Doomsday holding Clark by the neck, Clark blasting him with the heat vision, and all it's really doing is irritating Doomsday. And so Doomsday smashes Clark through a building, and we see um, Jimmy talking to this other Clark. He says, okay, you don't make any sense. You know, you know, we know that Superman's dead. We know that Superman was Clark Kent. How can you be here? And all Clark says, I did what I had to do to survive. So the implication is that what this Clark is implying is that I'm the real Clark Kent. I only pretended to be Superman to survive. We'll have to find out more about that as these issues go on, because right now it is a huge mystery. And as the fight continues, Clark is thinking in the dialogue boxes, the Doomsday seems faster and more savage than he can remember. And just as Doomsday is about to pounce on him with both feet, Lex comes in with a double hammer fist and smacks Doomsday away. And Lex says, you may be a fraudulent imposter, talking to Superman, but that should not cost you your life. Now, I really like this version of Luthor. I think this is one of the most, this is the most interesting version of Luthor since maybe President Luthor. And I don't love that run of, of Superman books. I'm not a huge fan of the early 2000 Superman books. A lot of that is because a lot of it undoes what Jurgens and Kiesel and Simonson and, and, and Stern did before then, it, it all kind of gets undone. Well, not undone, but a lot of it gets put aside. Um, a lot of supporting characters stop getting used. And, and it just, I don't know, I don't, I don't love the storytelling in that era, but that's one of the big reasons I don't like it is because it doesn't make use of a lot of what had been established over the past 10 years. And even though I like the run of Justice League that takes place after um, Death Metal, the Justice Doom War, which I'm going to talk about more in later episodes in Thoughts from the Fortress of Solitude, I don't like that version of Luthor. That's a version of Luthor, if you don't know. We're going to talk about it eventually when we get to it. And Luthor has kind of become this this prophet of um, a cosmic goddess of, of evil, of Perpetua. And he gets kind of dies and gets recloned into this apex predator body, right? And that's kind of neat, but that version of Luthor doesn't have a lot of depth. I really like this one. I think one of the most interesting types of characters, what's called an anti-villain, with obviously the opposite of an anti-hero. If you think of an anti-hero as a character who does the wrong thing for the right reasons. So I mentioned Wolverine a minute ago. Let's go back to Wolverine. Hey, Jason. Um, Wolverine is a character who kills people from time to time, but he does it for a good reason. He is protecting someone or he is avenging some, some great wrong. So you shouldn't kill people. It's not something you ought to do. But if you did it, you, if you killed a, someone who's attacking a small child to protect that small child, that's a pretty good reason to do so. The anti-villain is a character who does the right thing for the wrong reasons. And that's how I see this Lex. This Lex is a genuine good guy. He is a protagonist. He is someone who is acting for the good of other peoples, but he's doing it for selfish reasons. He's doing it to prove that he's the best. It's kind of like um, Superior Spider-Man when Dr. Octopus had control of Spider-Man's body. He was being a hero. He was stopping bad guys. He was protecting people, but he was doing it to prove to others how good he, how great he was. And that's how I see this Lex. And going back to, you know, referencing the Triangle era again, I think that the the Lex Luthor of the early 90s, Lex Jr., with the, with the big flowing red hair and the red beard, that was kind of how I expected that Lex to have gone in that time. I thought that was going to be a Lex who genuinely did the right thing 
for a metropolis in the world, but only to prove to himself and to others that he is the best there is at what he does, right? And so that's one of the reasons I really like this. You know, Jurgens partly wrote that version of Lex. He didn't start writing this version of Lex. That started with the uh, Forever Evil storyline, I think. The, the thing with the evil Justice League that comes over. Part of the New 52. I haven't read it. I just know of it. But I think that's when Lex does the fake's turn and comes out as a good guy. But I really love the fact that Jurgens is continuing that with this version of Lex. So I think it has a ton of potential. And we see that Lex's armor has a ton of different weapon systems. It has like this Kirby crackle energy fist stuff. So we can punch things harder and it has a more destructive effect. It has like these high caliber machine guns that are built into the wrist. But none of it is really having an effect on Doomsday. So Lex's armor is very powerful but it's not quite as powerful as Superman. It's definitely an Iron Man armor. If you put Iron Man and Superman in a fight, sorry, Iron Man fans, Superman's gonna eventually win. It's gonna be a heck of a fight. Superman's gonna come out on top eventually. And that's how I see this armor. So Lex is doing a good job at distracting Doomsday so that Superman can catch his breath and get back into the fight. And we see that just as Doomsday is charging towards Lex and he's about to pound him. Superman comes burrowing up out of the ground and smashes into Doomsday. And he is trying to fly Superman. Um, Superman is trying to fly Doomsday up into the atmosphere. If he can get him out in space, he could just toss him and let him drift endlessly. He could drop him on an asteroid somewhere in the middle of nowhere. He could fly him into the sun. Flying him into the sun is not a great idea. Um, if you've read Hunter Prey from 1995, you'll know that whatever kills Doomsday, he comes back stronger and, in, and then impervious to the thing that killed him. So maybe don't try to kill Doomsday, but find a way to trap him or incapacitate him. But Doomsday is just pounding on Clark and his, his bone spikes are just punching into Superman's head and he can't keep the momentum going to keep flying Doomsday up into the, into space. And he knees Clark in the face with one of those knee spikes, which is just brutal. And I remember back in the death of the Superman run, those things were actually sharp enough to break his skin. And it's just, it's rough. Um, while this is going on, Lex is still on the ground. He's trying to... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's just watching because he thinks it's fun watching getting Superman beat up or he's trying to regroup with his armor. That's when he sees this, this mystery Clark and he's like two imposters and not one of you has any sense. Um, so again, the mystery deepens. Lex doesn't know, know what's going on with this Clark. So, you know, we're guessing it's not a clone that Lex has made. So, you know, one more option has been checked off and crossed out. Uh, at this point, Lois turns off the TV. She doesn't want Clark to see anymore. And she's thinking to herself, my God, Clark, he killed you before. Just this once, run, please, of course. I should know better than to think that of you. It's not who you are. It's not the man I love, the man I married. And while this is going on, um, Clark and Doomsday are plummeting back towards the earth and Doomsday is hitting Clark so hard that Doomsday's own um, bone spikes are starting to break off. And Doomsday actually grabs Clark and throws him through a helicopter. And it is only Lex's intervention that saves the helicopter uh, pilot and reporter in there from uh, falling to the ground and dying. So back at the house, John's like, I got to go help dad. He's like, I know I can do it. I can fly there. I know I can. And um, Lois says, honey, I know you're worried about your father, but you aren't ready for this. Even if you could fly, you'd only put yourself at risk and complicate things further. And we actually see John starting to lift off the ground. As a parallel to that, back at the fight, Jimmy is asking this other Clark, he said, those men are going to die. No more messing around, Clark. Get up there and save them. And this Clark, the other Clark, says, fly me. I told you, that's not me. It never was. And, you know, that's when Lex swoops in and saves the helicopter people. 
Meanwhile, Doomsday is continuing to fall, and he is falling right onto a uh, a subway car that is on one of those uh, you know br- track bridges that comes up out of the ground. I don't know what they're called, a, a tram bridge, something. But he he falls right onto the car and completely smashes the bridge. And Lex goes up and he's trying to get to the subway car before it falls. But Clark gets there before he does. And, and Superman catches it and goes, got it. And uh, he asks Luthor to take over for him, for him. He says, save these people while I deal with Doomsday. And Lex says, no, you finish saving the people. I'll keep Doomsday off your back. And he comes at him with these energy fists. And he's punching at him, but Clark says Luthor won't last long. You know, like you know, like we've shown, Luthor's armor is not powerful enough to deal with Doomsday. In fact, as Superman lowers the subway car to the ground, we saw we see Doomsday punch Lex so hard in the chest that it shatters the electronic S symbol on his chest plate. And we see him begin to rip the armor apart. And we see where Doomsday has Lex's entire hand, uh, entire head in his hand. And Lex just weakly murmurs, no. And the last panel is Mr. Oz watching the fight saying, think, Kal-El, what will you do next? Only then can I make my move. So this is great. Again, I'm going to say this. Every issue of these two books going forward this issue was great. The Trinity issues are are good. I have mixed feelings about the Justice League ones. I think they're fine. They're not, you know, we'll, we'll get to them when we get to them. But these two books, Superman and Action Comics of this era, are so wonderful. They are, they are such an easy read. They, you know, because of my ADHD, usually when I'm reading something, even something as short as a comic, I have to read a few pages and then stop and go do something else. With these, I, these books, I can flow through them, but they are still such a, a deep read, at least to me. There's so much story behind each one of them. There's so much meaning in every one of them. There's mysteries building. There are... Um, conflicts of not only a physical level, but on an interpersonal level and a societal level. I really, really like these two stories. I love Zercher's artwork in this. I think of the two, I do like Tomasi better, but his is much more stylized. Zercher is super realistic, but at the same time, it has just enough cartooniness to it to give it to keep it not being so grounded that it becomes, I don't know, when comics are too realistic, it kind of takes some of the fun out of it for me. There's a little bit of a cartooniness mixing with the realism of Zercher's artwork. And like I've said, I've been a big fan of Zercher since the early 2000s. And um, I mentioned this when we talked about the Superman Rebirth one-shot that... um, uh, Mankey, Doug Mankey, who did the art on that one, he did a very subtle redesign of Doomsday in that one, which I thought was great. Um, Zercher sticks more towards the classic design, and again, it's not it's it's a very very subtle retweaking that Mankey did. He just does the spikes a little differently. He does Doomsday's little shock of white hair just a little differently. Um, Zercher leans more back into Jurgen's original design for Doomsday, which is totally understandable. If the guy who created the character you're drawing is the person you're writing with, who's writing the book you're drawing, you're probably going to want to stick originally to that. And Zercher does a fantastic job. And he, the only thing that's lacking about this version of Doomsday is kind of the malevolence that, um, that Jurgens put into the classic early 90s Doomsday, where he does something for cruelty's sake and then laughs about it. But the brutality of this one is definitely there. He's just a nonstop onslaught of destruction. And I think the scene, um, let's see, where was it? 
if you're if you're looking at the digital copy, if you're reading along, it's page 15. It's when Superman and Doomsday are plummeting back towards the ground, and Doomsday is hitting Superman so hard that bits of Doomsday's bone spikes and bone armor are breaking off because of the impact. That really gives you an idea of just the brutality of this fight. And it's excellent. And again, I love the dynamic between Superman and Lex in this issue. As we go forward, you know, we saw last episode in the last issue of Action how Clark was in the wrong on that one. Uh, Lex has, he's, has not been able to find any evidence of Lex's wrongdoing. He's going completely off of his assumption of how the Lex of his, the, their old universe was. And again, we'll see Lex return to that dynamic eventually. But as of right now, he is not doing anything wrong. He hasn't done anything wrong. And Superman's the one that started the conflict. And we'll see more of that in the future as we see Jurgen's writing kind of a more emotionally and ethically complex version of Superman, which is a lot of fun. And so... You know, I hope you guys are enjoying these issues as much as I am. I hope you're reading along, but if you're not, I hope that my description of them is giving you just a feel of just how much fun and how dynamic and how just full these two books are. Then I'm going to take a quick break and I'll come back to wrap things up. Well, friends, that is all the time I have for this couple of weeks. Now, I don't know if it's from the coffee or if it's from these two issues, but I am just humming with excitement right now, and I hope you guys are too. I hope you guys are having as much fun as I am going on this journey, and I thank you so much for joining me. In the, um, bleh. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter, at About Superman, where I post multiple thoughts daily on Superman comics. I give my commentary of the reads and read-throughs and re-read-throughs that I'm doing. Currently, I am rereading early 90s Superman. I just finished The Death of Superman, and I am just starting on Funeral for a Friend, uh, soon to go into Reign of Superman, Reign of the Superman, which, again, I love. Um, I'm also in late 2004 on my first read-through of the 2000s, and I'm just now starting to get to that part of that era that I'm enjoying. Um, I know a lot of people love the Jeff Loeb and Joe Kelly run on Superman. Not a huge fan, honestly. Um, I... Um, am more a fan of what was being done in Man of Steel at that time, again with Mankey's artwork and uh, Mark Schultz writing, but there are huge gaps in Man of Steel in that era, so I read as much of it as I could, and I've jumped ahead to 2004. I did skip over for tomorrow. I may eventually go back and reread that. Um, I've heard not great things about it. I've heard some so-so things about it. I read the first issue and of the, of the run and didn't love it. Uh, but I may eventually go back and read it out of context. Um, I'm reading the Chuck Austin run of Action Comics, which is interesting. Um, it's kind of funny. Um, I know a lot of people don't love Austin's run of X-Men from the very early 2000s. I'm not a huge fan either. But he was also the showrunner on Steven Universe and on the Netflix version of She-Ra. And those I both love. So he's definitely, you know, got his ups and downs. Um, but Ivan Reese does the art on that, and it's really, really good. And you can tell with that run that they're trying to make have Superman come off a little cooler to the kids. I don't know if it works. <laughs> it sounds like a, it sounds like somebody's dad trying to be cool dad. But whatever, it's pretty fun. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm offering my, giving my unsolicited thoughts on those. Uh, but I always try to give my thoughts in a as positive a way as possible. And if I don't like something, then I just say I'm not a fan of it and I don't disparage it or I try not to. Because, you know, if you like something I don't, then that's, you know, then good for you. And I don't want to say bad stuff about something that somebody else likes. But I'm not afraid to say if I'm not a fan of something. 
Um, I also give my kind of philosophical thoughts on things filtered through the ethos of Superman. I usually drop those first thing in the morning and right before I go to bed. But, you know, I hope you guys like those, too. They seem to be fairly popular. That's fun. Dan Jurgens liked a couple of my tweets. That's, that's nice. <laughs> Maybe he'll follow me one day. That would be awesome. Yeah. Hey, can you tell I've had a lot of coffee? I've had a lot of coffee. <laughs> but I will be back in two weeks. And let's see what is on the roster for then. It looks like we are going to be talking about Superman number two. And we're also going to be talking about Super, uh, sorry, Justice League Rebirth number one, both of which have a release date of August, uh, July 6th from 2016. So that's going to be pretty neat. Um, like I said, I've only kind of skimmed that era of Justice League. I don't, I didn't really start reading it in depth until after Death Metal. So I'm interested to see what Brian Hitch is writing for that time. But. Uh, again, I will be back in two weeks for that. But until then, as always, fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart. Love ya.